Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job and make a bigger difference, even and especially during the pandemic. And today, if you work in high value fundraising or in development for a college or university, I hope you're going to find this episode insightful because today we're looking at more habits and ideas to help you increase fundraising income with Jamal Iqbal, who is Head of Development at the Faculty of Engineering at Imperial College London. This is the second half of my recent interview with Jamal. I was keen to talk to him because his team have been continuing to achieve excellent results this year, and I was keen to hear from him some key principles that he believes contribute to this success. During this chat, we particularly focus on ways to prepare to have interesting, inspiring conversations with your supporters, including the sharing of relevant real examples and stories to bring your cause to life. I really enjoyed this discussion with Jamal, and whether you work in higher education or for a charity, I hope you find it helpful too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. I gather that uh, occasionally you get asked to do little mini training sessions or or ideas sessions with your team. What's another idea or two that that you have found important in your own success and that you try to pass on to some of your colleagues? Yeah, so I think that sort of two parts. I've done a lot of research, obviously, over the years in terms of uh, in terms of you know relationship building and influence, etc. So I think one one individual who sticks out to me, who I, th- I know is an in, in important part of some of the research that you've looked at as well, is is, is Professor Robert Cialdini, and I think that some of his um, work is is very relevant to to fundraising, which I think that we can uh, you know potentially uh, look to things like social proof. So quite often I'll speak to somebody who's who's come from a particular department and they often ask, you know, what have other alumni funded, you know, in, in, in this department, for example. So if you can talk about or give examples of individuals that have maybe done something, you know, similar within a department or a faculty. So I think elements like that are important. One thing that's occurred to me, and this is true of some charities and nonprofits, but I think it can especially sometimes be true in the HE sector, is how transactional giving can sometimes be perceived to be Um, is that your experience and if it is what do you try to do to make it less of just a a transaction and more of to do with impact and and a joyful inspiring thing for a supporter to do yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think at times HE is 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 or can be viewed um, uh, um, as as slightly transactional. I think one of the learnings that HE can have, especially from the charity sector, and having worked in that sector, one of the things that charities are absolutely experts at is framing stories. And when you look at the sector in HE, if you look at it broadly, there's probably three areas that you're you're going to raise funds for. You know, student support broadly. You know, scholarships. Secondly, is going to be capital of some sort, new buildings, infrastructure. Uh, and thirdly, for um, you know, academic posts, so chairs, for example. So I think they're the, you know, the broad three that you'd, you'd, you'd come across very broadly in, in HE. 
And I think what's sometimes missing is actually creating a story and a narrative around each of them. So if I take, you know, scholarships, for, for example, um, I've probably told this story, you know, over 100 times, but it's one that's that stuck with me. When I first joined the college now, uh, well over two years ago, I joined a scholarship uh, recipients afternoon. And I bumped into a young student and she'd, she'd got a scholarship and we were just talking about um, you know, her time, uh, you know, in her first year at the college. And when I said, you know, which scholarship have you got? And she mentioned the name and it was named after um, the donor. And I said, oh, actually, I'm meeting the donor for lunch in a couple of weeks time. Is there anything that you want me to tell him? And she said, well, first say, say thanks, but also just tell him that because of this scholarship, I don't have to work, you know, part time in the in the local Sainsbury's, um, you know, for, you know, for four evenings a week. And that story really, you know, stuck with me and resonated with me. And I went and told the donor that a couple of weeks later over lunch. And he said, you know, I've been thanked in various ways. But, you know, that one story, sharing that one story for me shows how important my, my uh, you know, my gift has been of this scholarship. Because, you know, studying an undergrad course in engineering is, is difficult enough. And then having to work four or five days a week part time can really take the focus away from your studies. And I think stories like that, you know, whether it's student support, capital chairs, you, you have to really be able to talk about and bring the need to life, which I think we can really learn from the charity sector in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, again, for some universities and colleges and for some charities also it's not necessarily easy to find those examples they don't necessarily fall in your lap you don't necessarily have a colleague you know who's supposed to be in charge of finding case studies maybe in a different team to you who's who's really finding the kinds of examples that would help your donors um i mean literally just this week on our major gifts mastery program we were doing a in a whole afternoon on a how to tell stories more in a more interesting inspiring way but b crucially the first thing of how do you find them if you're in an organization that doesn't seem to be set up to give you lots of good ones are there any practical tips you found along the way that have helped you you know take responsibility to go and find these real examples yeah absolutely i think it's like you said, I think in the charity sector, people share stories a lot more. I think you need to you need to share, you need to speak to individuals who are at the coalface. So I, I spend a lot of time talking to uh, individuals that work in, in in student hardship who actually you know hear um, from students who who are you know who are telling them you know their their stories. I think that's that's quite important. But sometimes story stories come from 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 you know the least least likely places. So another one uh, is we obviously have lots of academics. Academics can uh, you know sometimes tell you about a scenario which is useful. And 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 one which springs to mind is again when we were talking about capital support, I was with our one of our heads of department, and we were talking about a refurbishment. And he was telling me that there was a study done in the US at MIT where they refurbished a building. And because because of that refurbishment, they made it a, a, a more open, a more airy space, one that had real community feel to it. And once the building had been refurbished, they saw a massive spike in the number of female students who were applying to that engineering faculty. And again, it's you know that's another story which i you know made a note of and have shared widely because quite often we we might say we actually want to create a new building okay but why do we want to do it you know this is a you know a consequence which 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 can happen again which is something that 
you know, nobody had ever thought would have happened, but, you know, it happened and they saw a spike of female students. So who would have thought by creating a new building, you would have started diversifying your student population. But again, you know, don't just look for the stories in a place where you think they're going to come from. They could come from anyone and, and make note make a note of the story and also share your stories as well. Cause I think, you know, obviously it's valuable to you as an individual, but that could be shared across your team and across various faculties. Yeah. That's uh, definitely something that often comes up in our courses is once we really get our heads around the amazing difference, difference it makes to you as a fundraiser or development officer with these real examples to be able to share if and when appropriate. Step one is just realizing it really makes your job quite a lot easier rather than, oh, I've heard of these case studies. They're nice to have, but my, my donor never asked me, asks me for stories, Rob. That's fundraiser who knows more of them and can proactively include them if and when relevant in conversation. I think all of your me- your meetings are going to get potentially easier once you've got more. Um, but then, there's next couple of tips I really like, which is one is be open to seeing them everywhere, not just on your J drive because your colleague in comms collected some certain case studies. Uh, you know, the more you use your own eyes and ears in your own conversations as you go about your job, then I think you're more likely to start noticing them. And then, but then crucially you said, and then take a note of them. And so, um, one of the key tips I've noticed some real stars of this have done over the years. There's, there's someone called, called uh, Becky, uh, who I sometimes mention on, on courses. She, she doesn't just talk about it, but she's, as I heard, she's given a, a notebook to all of her team so that people are more likely to take a note of these things. And then if you're doing that, you are more, if you know you've got a notebook for capturing stories, I think you're more likely to notice them in the first place. And then the other tip I think I heard you say is be more likely to share them. And again, if one is a, a leader, I think the act of putting story story sharing as a slot on a team meeting, there may be some really busy meetings where you just don't have time for it. But if all things being equal, that slot is on the team agenda. It's just this extra nudge that increases the chances that anyone who had has heard an interesting story that week is more likely to share it and that just helps everyone in the team just keep these good ideas flowing uh, so that they're on the front foot for if and when they need to bring this stuff to life when they're talking to a supporter absolutely and i think one thing that you touched on there which is really <laughs> which is really relevant is that quite often you know there'll be you know a bank of a couple of stories somewhere you know like you said on a on a on a on a j drive um and and you know they are not the only stories in the world you know they are there there are a lot more stories to, to that you know that you don't know about that you're going to come across that you know are, are just going to be almost opportunistic you know you you come across a situation and then you have a have a new story so i think the one thing to be really mindful of is that just because you've got three which sit on your j drive there might be another 78 that you're going to get in the next you know next 12 months that that will you know replenish and build and and, and come to fruition mm. and i think there's another angle on this which is the more you are like you're saying proactively seeking out conversations with your colleague who's at the front line the more you proactively make time for those meetings you are just gonna hear more of these examples and the value of that is not just in terms of giving you more interesting things to be able to talk about one of the most interesting studies I've read about, again, 
Professor Robert Cialdini was involved in this, and it's in a book called The Small Big. And he talks about um, some fund- telephone fundraisers in an American university whose job is to make some proactive, make calls to uh, alumni to potentially see if they'd la- like to make a donation to the Hardship Fund. And one group of these telephone fundraisers, for just 10 minutes a day, they were given access to real diaries and, and letters written by students who had benefited from the hardship fund just 10 minutes real stories and another group of telephone fundraisers didn't get access to those real accounts and real stories um and you might guess what the punchline coming is going to be but it's well worth reading in the book is is literally just 10 minutes a day access to real stories caused the group that had had that information to be much more enthusiastic and proactive in making the calls and in financial terms they raised more than twice as much money in that week as those who were reading more factual information about the cause so they weren't told to go and share the stories on the phone lots of this is about the more we connect to a powerful reason why it affects how we do our job and you know, even just by ten percent extra, you know, energy and proactivity when you're tired in the afternoon and you reach for the phone, yeah, ten percent extra willingness to be a good listener rather than pretend you're listening. If you've got a powerful reason why that serves your values, you're more, more likely to just feel pulled to do things better. And so, I think this is a thing that's often mis- misunderstood by leaders who think, well, you know. My team's got got access. They could go and read the case studies if they want to. If they're busy, often, it's my experience, people won't. But if as a leader you can do anything at all to proactively help make it easier for people to volunteer or hear talks from the front line or whatever, the more drip, drip, drip you can get people access to that reason why, what difference our cause makes – it's my experience that that really can help the the morale and and the energy levels that your team are experiencing. Absolutely, absolutely agree, Rob. I think it's absolutely fundamental. There's, there's one other thing I was particularly wondering about, which is, I mean, and we've touched on it, but um, you know, in lots of kinds of non-profit or charity, there are people on the front line whose most of their job is to be doing that work. You know, help helping homeless people or or doing research into cancer, whatever it might be. And as we go through our jobs, even in this more virtual world, we don't necessarily bump into them. And then they're not necessarily proactively coming to us, you know, with a fundraising mindset that we have to get this more information to help these supporters. I think that can be especially hard to solve in colleges and universities. You know, in a perfect world, Everyone in a whole university or everyone in a charity would be thinking beyond their own immediate role and would be trying to help each other out. In practice, it's just not that easy necessarily. Everyone's busy trying to do their job. Have you learned anything in in practice about the proactive building of relationships within the college with, for instance, um, the academics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, universities are a, are a huge, uh, you know, are a huge place. You know, with campuses, 
you know, dotted around and, and it can be, um, you know, can be overwhelming. I know when I uh, came across into the university sector, I, you know, I found, you know, gosh, this is, you know, just a huge institution with lots of, um, lots of different departments. I think sort of two parts, I think first from an operational point of view, um, I think the onus is on you as an individual to be, to be proactive, to interact with, um, lots of those areas that we've talked about, i.e. those that are on the, you know, the coal face and, and are interacting with students like, you know, student hardship or, or, or um, registry that deal with scholarships, for example. I think that's uh, the onus is on you to be proactive. And that's certainly one of the things that I did when I first came on board was 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 set up regular catch-ups. So even, you know, in the midst of COVID, you know, still having those, those regular catch-ups just to check in. And I think that one thing is, to uh to to extract those those stories etc but also to talk about success that you've had so you know if you've been able to set up a new scholarship that has helped you know ex-student talk about it share that with your colleagues because i think what happens is even if they're not at the coal face they then get a sense of what your division or your your department is is trying to do so i think that's that's absolutely key i think the second part which you alluded to rob which was around academics um you know, absolutely, they are, uh, you know, an integral part of, of of the university. And I think the challenges with academics is that they tend to be very short of time. Um, you know, they are, you know, incredibly difficult to get, you know, time in time in their diaries. And I think quite possibly the worst thing that you can do with an academic, for example, who you've not met before, is, you know, sort of turn up to their office and say, can you tell me a little bit about your research? I think, you know, that's 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 probably the worst thing that you can do. Um, you know, I've, I've often said, uh, you know, to to, to, to my team and, and given the advice that if you're going to be an academic for the first time, make sure you've done your research on that individual um, you know about their particular field, projects, initiatives that they're currently working on so that you can talk, you know, compl- um, competently um, about those various areas. Because I think, particularly with academics, you you tend to have one, you know, you know, opportunity to make uh, uh, to make an impression and you need to, to make that impression uh, well. And the academics are, are very useful for two reasons. The first is that if you're structuring a particular philanthropic ask which might be in their department or might reflect or might be you know connected to their research that's also important as well but secondly um you know our academics are very well networked uh, you know in 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 the corporate field and obviously have have have, have quite large networks as well so they um you know you know will often you know you know make introductions as well but the the paramount piece is to and this is the skill that i often say is very difficult is it's a very difficult skill to have but it's one that's 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 key is to be able to build credibility with academics very quickly yeah my last question jamal is assuming you sometimes have tough days like everybody else what do you personally tend to do to handle that stress and bounce back yeah we 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 often have days like that as as fundraisers i think the, the the easiest way for me to reset as it were it's just reconnecting with with the cause. So, you know, in a charity, it's a lot easier, but in HE, it's slightly different. But I always remind myself, if I've had a tough day, you know, I'll go back and and read about, you know, scholarship recipient who we've helped or something that we've, you know, so, somebody's life who we've, who's, 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 who's changed or some research which might help a global challenge that I've in some way, you know, been a tiny, tiny part of. I think that's a great way... Um, of resetting and also not being too hard on yourself you know um you know we talked a lot about tenacity but you know fundraisers you've you've got to be you've got to be thick-skinned and the and the the way that i often talk about it is 
and I used to say this a lot in the charity sector, is that the cause doesn't go away. Just because you've had a bad day, you know, at the NSPC, we, we had lots of no's. You know, just because you've had a no from, you know, a big corporate, for example, on a Monday, that doesn't mean that the cause is, is not there on the Tuesday when you go back in again. And I think reminding yourself psychologically of that and resetting and coming and going again is um is is a way to to motivate yourself when you've when you've had that tough day yes that makes sense and so jamal i need to bring this conversation to a close you've been extremely generous with your time uh, first thing i want to say is um huge congratulations to you and your team it sounds like you're doing ever so well at the moment so well done for all the hard work everyone's putting in and the results you're managing to get for your important cause and secondly thank you so much for making time to come and share with the podcast listeners your ideas and advice so that hopefully it can help and inspire them as well i do really appreciate it um jamal iqbal thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast goodbye thanks rob Well, I hope you found Jamal's ideas were helpful. If so, please remember to subscribe to the podcast today so you don't miss out on all the other juicy episodes we've got coming up. For now, though, you can find a short summary and the full transcript in the blog and podcast section of my website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you'd like to find out more about the Brightspot Members Club, which is our training, coaching and inspiration site for fundraisers, you can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.com co.uk forward slash join there you can get a sense of all the resources that our 300 members get access to including an extensive library of my best training films and downloads live weekly coaching calls on a range of specialist topics to suit the pandemic and our supportive community and if you found my discussion with jamal was helpful i'd be incredibly grateful if you could take a moment to share it on with other fundraisers either directly or by social media so that we can get these ideas out to as many charities as possible during this difficult year. If you want to get in touch, Jamal and I are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for making time to listen today. Until the next time, hang in there and good luck with everything you're doing to make a positive difference. Music.